Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. There's Andy Wood. Hello, hello. How are you, Andy? I'm doing... I still don't know whether you're going to throw to me to say my own name. Every time, I'm like, do I stop... Okay, yes, I'm Andy Wood. I'm we, doing well. We should have a set procedure in no, place. No, it's only been six years. Actually, this is to the, to the week, our six-year anniversary. Is it really? Yeah. Well, look at our anniversary <laughs> guest. It's comedian, filmmaker, writer... General, wonderful person is Kieran Deal. How are you, Karen? I'm good. How are you, Matt? Very good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's nice to be here, sitting between the two of you, wedged between two best friends. <laughs> I love that. Two just... best friends on their sixth uh, year podcast anniversary. Six pod podiversary. What is the what you know six years styrofoam? Let me look it up. But I, I'd say I'd say I'd probably be talking to Andy even if we didn't have a podcast. Oh. I'd like to think that's the case. They have promise rings here, you guys. We had here a discussion off air whether, uh, whether we were best friends or not. And I was like, I don't know. Do people our age have best friends? So let's put it to the audience. Do do people in their... Do people post 30 still have people they consider uh, best friends? I definitely put you right up there in my American friends. Okay. You got to keep... <laughs> I, I got I to keep my... I've got to keep different friend lists on both sides of the yeah, Atlantic. Yeah. Segregation is important when you're talking about friendships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, here we go. Uh, Are you Googling whether people can have best friends over 30? <laughs> yeah, I am. No, I'm, I'm Googling um, Iron. F-E. It's the Iron anniversary, I think. Oh, there actually is a six. I guess every year would have one, yeah. Iron is a lame. Yeah, that's pretty. But that's I mean, the, a lame metal. The first year is wood, though. Or paper. Wait, is, is it paper or wood? I'm not kidding. It's one of those two. It starts off bad because you have to build to, you know, 75 as diamonds. So you have to, I mean, to ever you give... Be Wait a second, hang on. Hang on, I think this list, this website I found is inaccurate. Hang on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a better one. But I'm 90% sure 50 is gold and 75 is diamonds. So you'd have to get married in your 20s and then, and then live well beyond the life expectancy you got to get married human. at three. Yeah, really to have a, a chance at a diamond. And everyone blows it with a diamond right out of the gate when it's supposed to be... You, you build... You got to earn yeah. that. And everyone gets... Uh, Everyone gets uppity when they start marrying off three-year-olds, but not realizing that that gives them a good chance of getting diamonds in You're getting a long, several decades' good, time. A, a good long runway. Investment. A long runway for a useless gem. <laughs> um, all right. No, it was. So six is, it says iron in the U.S. and candy in the U.K., but that can't be right because candy's not a British word. <laughs> Nor right. metal, but I guess Sweets. wood and paper. Sweets. Yeah, so I... Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I want somebody to now pull like a like a pull like a Hershey's kiss out of their pocket and be like, "Here, here, <laughs> take it." I guess fitting that the first anniversary we've actually celebrated in this show is one that is ironic, as a comedy show. I, I, ironic. Oh, that's very iron, good. irony, wordplay. Oh, iron, 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 ironic, that ironic, ironic, ironic. That pun has just jumped you another level on the friends list. Oh. <laughs> Did I, did, I t- did I take out a Brit? <laughs> I, I, I mean, some Brits listen to this, so I can't. Okay. You actually just went down on my friends list Damn for the it. same pun. <laughs> it's a zero-sum game when it comes to friends in LA, I think. Um, hey, Kieran, we ask our guests this before we get into the stories. Uh, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that ranges from like being all about it to having a class that you liked or a class that you hated or blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends when you were a kid. Yes. Okay, cool. My background in science. So I actually wrote a movie that's set in the world of astronomy. Ooh. Yes, yes. So this year's been a little science heavy for me because um, I went to the, not to brag you guys, but I did go to the American Astronomical Society Conference in June Ooh. in Austin, Texas as press. It's not a big deal. I had a lanyard. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I think deal. it's a pretty big deal. From what I heard, it was a star-studded event. It, hey oh, Where that, am I on the friend list, guys? No, that one stayed neutral. <laughs> Look at that tandem yes. best friend <laughs> pun tag. Love it. Love it. So how was the conference? Um, it was really amazing. Uh, it's really highfalutin, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at the, even at the, even at the press events, which were like for like so in astronomy because it's like so compartmentalized and whatever. It's like um, 
everyone's so specified. I do exoplanets. I do dust and gas. I do this. I do that. And then they're talking to these broad, wide scale audiences. And then it's tiered. So it's like when you're talking to other people who do exactly what you do versus talking to people who are like um, just other other astronomers yeah. versus talking to press. And I'm an idiot. So I, I would I doubt that. Well, but... I was sitting in this thing and it would be like these guys would be like, like they've you can tell they've tried their hardest to like dumb it down and i know 80 percent of the people didn't get what they were talking really? about and then it would be like and then there'd be like any questions and there'd be no questions because you like you so literally <laughs> don't know enough to even ask a question you're like i guess that's true you know also so you're not recommending this to our listeners to go if they have the chance to be uh, it's spectator. it's really a it's really a conference for other astronomers that's like a professional conference. Yeah. Did so, you feel like an interloper? Um Did Yeah. You? Like I like I like the idea of like I like the idea of like kind of like flirting with other career possibilities and being like, Oh, this could be my life. Like this is like it's not my life at all, but I'm like, oh, that's cool. You're like, if I'd only chosen a different major and then five years of undergrad and then another 10 years of professional work <laughs> in the field, then I could have been here. This, this, yeah, this could have been me if I did everything differently <laughs> in my life. So from wait, the how beginning did, then how, did, how did the screenplay come to pass then if this is so far outside of your uh... well it's set in the world of astronomy how did you decide that uh, because there was real um, you know there, there were real like stories that were based in astronomy and I also just love the uh, the metaphor of it mm-hmm. do you know what I mean it's like if you're telling a story about human people but it's in the set in the world of astronomy it's kind of like you know the sky is the limit but uh, then but then you know is it the limit you know or is the limit tease? really between people? <laughs> can huh? you tease a little of like what the plot is? Or I think that's all I can say oh, okay. for right now. Got some NDAs going on. Got some. Got some. That's that's all I can say okay. at the moment. But the stars, huh? Mm-hmm. Real pretty. How about those stars? How about the stars? Real pretty. I got two sitting in front of me oh, right now. Yo, is that one is of the lines? On the is that one of the lines from the <laughs> from the that's script? Some of my amazing dialogue. Um, <laughs> Yes, that's no, that's not. I would shoot myself in the mouth, which I plan to do anyway after this podcast, because that would um, that would help our numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would Just really do sixth, us a solid sixth year anniversary. It's like we need to go out with a like a bang of iron. You know? Yeah, an iron bullet. An iron bullet. Is that what bullets? I don't even know what I, bullets are made of. Is it, I mean, I, are they actually lead? Because people say oh, lead, yeah, like uh, a, but that, I don't know if that really is anymore. I bet it's some kind of mixture. You know what? I went down a Wikipedia or a YouTube hole recently watching uh, Prince Rupert's drops getting shot at super high frame rates. Have you ever seen? Watching what? You know Prince Rupert's drops? I thought we talked about this in the show, haven't we? We might have done, but you're going to have to remind okay. me. If you drop molten glass into water, uh, it freezes. I'm, I'm sorry. It uh, solidifies from what do you call it, from going from liquid to solid. Um, Sets sets uh so quickly and well, it sets in such a way that the molecules are it's under simultaneously high tensile strength and high it, it it forms this thing that was discovered hundreds of years ago called a prince rupert's drop it looks like a tadpole it's a, it's like it's got a bulb at the end and a long tail and uh, that bulb is almost impenetrable. You can shoot it with a bullet, it won't break. But if you snap off the end of the tail, the entire thing doesn't just shatter, but actually explodes. Wow. It has so much trapped, it has sort of like potential energy in the structure of how it was cooled that that's unleashed if you disrupt any part of the tail. So st- just look up anything on YouTube about Prince Rupert's drops. You'll be fascinated. You'll spend an hour. You won't believe this is a real thing. It's so, very Achilles heel, you guys. Yeah. Very Achilles heel. So yeah. there, I think Smarter Every Day did a thing. That's a YouTube channel uh, with a with a guy. I forgot what his science pedigree is, but it's really good. And they have one of those you know 300,000 frames per second cameras and they shoot with a bullet and it just, it doesn't break. It just like swings. But then if you just clip off the end of the tail entire thing shatters violently it's really cool i forgot how you reminded me of that just now but oh bullets yeah when you said prince rupert's drop i was like is that the one marrying the nice american (laughs) she does seem like a delight doesn't she she seems delightful i can't believe that harry did so much better i mean i don't mean to compare the oh because she's she's better because she's american is that what's happening here She's she seems like a real catch, Megan, doesn't she? Versus versus you don't I mean, think Kate, Kate does too, but like Megan seems like magical. Am I saying too am I showing my hand too much about my crush on Megan? Um I'm gonna edit this out. 
<laughs> no, tell us more. You're just with your two best Doesn't friends. She on your sixth delight- anniversary. She just seems delightful to me. I don't know. I mean, know. they both seem pretty dope. But Harry, but- I always thought Harry was like the joke. Right? I mean, didn't, didn't he dress up as a Nazi? Are you just thinking that because he has red hair? I feel no, like. No, I thought he was. Yeah, a, he dresses he up as a Nazi. He's, a fun, he's the fun one. He's the fun Nazi <laughs> one. <laughs> but he, he did do that, right? It's a part. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, he absolutely did. He did that? Yeah, he dressed. It was, it was at a costume party. Fancy dress party. As Brits call it. A fancy dress party. Yeah, that's, that's a big language barrier thing. We've talked about this on the show before. That was one of my first American English language barrier moments. <laughs> We assume. I mean, it sounds like you're saying. I mentioned a, party, yeah, a right, fancy right. dress party, and to Americans, they're like, "Ooh, fancy dress! Yeah, Ooh, everyone got your ball gowns!" Yeah, and exactly. fancy dress party in England actually means like there's going to be Spider Man and a Frankenstein, and Costume that's right, party. a Frankenstein. A Frankenstein. Uh, yeah. The other exactly. thing is that in Halloween, there's and, and oh, a royal family dressed as a Nazi, which is it seems like that should that's a little off brand for them, or like like. I'd say it's the opposite. I think it's almost two on the nose. That's what I meant. I was like, and by off brand, I mean like that's not how you want to brand yourself (laughs) given your history as, you know. I feel like it was probably, it was obviously well pre Facebook. I feel like it was a good 15 years ago when when maybe everyone didn't have cameras in their phones. Yeah, that seems like it should have been a scandal, bigger scandal than I remember. Oh, it was a scandal. Um, I think it would have been bigger if it had happened now. But um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was like a. It was like a two-day, not even scandal. It was like these pictures of it, you know. Yeah. It was scandal in the modern sense of scandal, which means something that gives people enough to get outraged for by for an afternoon before they move on to the next thing. Yeah. 2005, that. so pre-Facebook, uh, pre-iPhone, post-Friendster, uh, maybe in the middle of MySpace. Yeah, but it was, it was definitely pre-Web... 2.0 like pre-social yeah. media in the, the modern year, sense that's right. the year youtube launched this is a few months before youtube even existed um i my i was born in britain and a lot of my family's from there and so i was there for halloween one year and the one cool thing about halloween there is that it's like everyone does like bloody it's like all bloody stuff this is what my cousins told me why are you looking so confused Matt? i hadn't As because in, i hadn't thought of there being any real difference in costume choices like in less Britain. slutty for the women it's more like battered ladybird it was like it was like you're not going to go huh. as a ladybird you're going to go as like a bloody battered ladybird whereas here it's like sexy nurse like there's a whole thing like sexy okay. sexy doctor sexy mermaid whatever it is it's I like even oh, thought sexy, of that but sexy but there it's like violent well it's i will it's, yeah, when it's were you there fun. How long ago was this? This was a couple of years ago. Because I'd say when I when I was growing up, Halloween was much less of a deal in Britain than it is in America. Mm, mm, mm. Like Americans go all out. You Brits, mean, it was like to a kid or you compare. No, I'm I'm saying like uh, like at every age, yeah. it, like in general, comparing like for like adults' reaction to Halloween, kids' reaction to Halloween, it's just a lot less of a thing. I yeah. think in recent years it's become more because. Um, like we've imported American things right. we've imported I think we've talked before on this podcast about how Brits now have proms oh proms didn't there was no version of a prom a complete invention oh. a complete American import there, there was no annual dance that was a big deal there was like a school some schools would have like a school disco like a school dance Indian weddings have imported the idea of bridesmaids ah so it's interesting that yeah it's like sometimes you just take and you're like I like that Cherry picked that into so the prior culture. to that. There's nobody else but the two people getting married who are on. Yeah, I mean, like you have the family, but it wasn't like all the sisters and like some of the friends like dress in the same it, outfit yeah, yeah. and like come down or like now it's like sprinkle some rose petals, whatever. It's just like <laughs> it's a free yeah mishmash, a free for do all. a viral dance, whatever. Do what you want. Live your life, man. Yeah, uh, I, just, I just got back from a half Jewish wedding, which is the first kind of any Jewish wedding that I went to, and it was it was very it was great. It was but it's very quick and to the point and. Um, they did the glass smash, but I was like, did I miss other, like, I don't know what, what other Jewish wedding things there are besides stepping on the glass. What are the big cliche or things that's most notable for? Well, there's, um, the chair that comes oh, later. That's that like the, happen. that's like the kind of in the, the reception dance bit and stuff afterwards, but the actual ceremony, there's a bit where the bride walks around the groom, I think seven times. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's a part of it. Um, when do they sacrifice a, uh, a Gentile baby? Uh, nev- never. Never. <laughs> that doesn't happen, Andy. I thought we were friends. 
I forgot how we got into Halloween. You were talking about growing, being born in the UK at- because we talked about the we talked about the Prince, Prince Rupert's, Rupert's drops, drops and then we talked about Harry and who he was married oh, to. That's right. And then the Nazis right. and your Dressing crush up as a Nazi. on uh, uh, your- Meghan Markle. Is that yes. What I as if <laughs> you're I like know I know her you're her like mm, I don't I know, know it. No, Meghan. She's fine. Yeah. I don't know. She's fine. <laughs> Um, Matt, before we get into stories, do you mind if I read this email we got from one of our... We have great listeners. We have very smart listeners. Uh, yes, I'm flattering them because they're listening. Um, but last week we talked about... Uh, our, our. We had Ben Roy on and we were all speculating about how you can get in trouble at depth when you're scuba diving. Like what can... The bends can hurt you, obviously, but then I'd heard that the oxygen itself can become toxic, but I didn't know how. But we have a listener who is well-versed in this, Stephen York from Canberra. Is that how you say it? Am I pronouncing mm-hmm. it? Yeah. The capital of Australia. Definitely not Canberra. I know people get mad if you do that. Um, he wrote in to say that you digressed and we're talking about diving science and he thought he'd clear up some theory as he recently did the Paddy Enriched Diver course. Uh, he goes into a lot of detail, but I'll, I'll summarize what he was saying. By the way, that's Paddy, P-A-D-I, which is the diving accreditation comp. As opposed to like... Uh, just enriched enrich with more patties. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or the no, rice patty. We're not oh, talking pa- about rice patties. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So many patties. They got uh, uh, peppermint. They got uh, beef. Um, okay. So yeah, at... at we have 21% oxygen in the air we breathe and what's important in, in how oxygen becomes toxic is the partial pressure within the mix of gases. And a partial pressure is the pressure that if you have like, so there's 21% oxygen. So the partial pressure at one atmosphere is 0.21 atmospheres. That's the pressure that that amount of gas would have if it occupied the space of the entire mixture with nothing else there. Right. So at 0.21, obviously not lethal, totally fine. It gets to be a problem when partial pressure of oxygen gets to be over 1.4 atmospheres. So pressure doubles every 10 meters. Um, so you could go to, let's, yeah, if you're at a depth of 10 meters, you have a partial pressure of 0.42 oxygen, which is still safe, 30 meters, 0.63, and so on. Um, and there's also enriched air, which sometimes has a higher percentage of oxygen to allow longer bottom times and less time less surface interval duration. So that might increase the oxygen level to like 30%, which gets you closer and closer to that line where you could potentially die. So um, like with a partial pressure of 1.0 on the surface, you could only really safely breathe within conservative limits at four meters. Um, And people generally go into convulsions without them noticing any warning signals at all at a partial pressure of oxygen of 1.8 which quickly leads to spitting out the regulator and drowning. Um, and super fit and healthy people can push around 1.6, but basically 1.4 is what you should never go over. So like there's a depth you can't go because even though it's staying at one fifth of the total gases in the mixture, that partial pressure crosses <clears throat> a line and that oxygen becomes toxic. Or, But if you're at sea level and you go to those oxygen bars and drink, and breathe 100% oxygen that's still only a partial pressure of one atmosphere it's 100% so it's not at that dangerous level so that's why pure oxygen so 1.4 is the toxic level yeah yeah so, you have so to if you happen pure... to be somewhere where if you happen to be a, like somewhere where that had one and a half times the air pressure that you were currently in and, and then you, you went to a 100% pure... oxygen bar Yes. Then you'd be at 1.5, and that's about the toxic limit. So if you could find some place below sea level, but way farther than Death Valley, and I don't know, yeah. So you can take all the oxygen you want at sea level, usually fine. But uh, as you go down and start to have pressurized air, be careful. Thank you, Stephen, for writing in. Um, yeah, we had a couple very sciencey. Letters. Well, well, let's get to a story or two. A first. couple of people yeah. wrote in about my mum's asbestos ironing board. Oh yeah, and the Your general mom has an asbestos ironing. Yeah, board? and I can't make her throw it away, so I, I put it out to our listeners of like, tell me how dangerous this is, at, so I can go because she she's so stubborn about this. She's like, it's fine, it hasn't killed me yet. And I'm like, well, like, so apparently the type of asbestos that it is, if it hasn't got to the point where it's sort of flaking, uh, where it's got damaged, then it's safe-ish relatively safe but yeah. if it starts to get older and more tatty and like starts to go particulate then it becomes very dangerous and needs to be and either way it needs to be thrown away 
by professionals who know how to throw away things. Is it like an ironing board that's in the wall? No, I should point out, like, it's not the whole board that's, that's asbestos. That's the pad on the end that you rest the iron on. Okay. So, like, you know that, you know, irons normally have, like, the little, rec- the little squ- rectangle squarey bit at the very end that you can put the iron on when you're when you're not ironing when you're getting the next bit of clothing yes mm-hmm. matt we it's, all have ironing boards because we're adults it's that bit i got one for my sixth anniversary i don't know what you got <laughs> <laughs> uh... jesus sorry all right it's the last iron related thing of the show i promise no it's good because because the the paper board that we previously got you was that disastrous was, uh, yeah, was very bad for ironing <laughs> horrible. for papering i'm sorry yeah uh, you tried papering your clothes it doesn't make them less wrinkly um Hey, you, you know what else doesn't make your clothes less wrinkly? What doesn't make your clothes less wrinkly? Right? Running away from cheetahs and lions? Oh, it doesn't. Okay. It does not. I will stop using that as my escape technique. Yeah. Um, the antelope can never outrun the cheetah, as I'm sure you're aware, cheetah being the fastest land animal there is, but it can survive the chase if it twists and turns sharply at the last minute. Mm. That is the finding. I thought this was already fairly well known but of a study that tracks the dance of death, as this article puts it, between the fastest land animal and its prey. Researchers have been analyzing how zebra, yeah, I call it zebra, zebra. <laughs> and antelope escape from lions and cheetahs on the African savanna. They say hunting at lower speed favors prey as it offers them the best chance of outmaneuvering the predator. In the final stages of a hunt, it isn't about high speed, says Alan Wilson of the Royal Veterinary College in London. If the prey tries to run away at speed, it's a very bad move because the predator is faster and can accelerate more quickly. So that prey plays into the predator's hands. The optimum tactic of the prey is to run relatively slowly and turn very sharply at the last moment. To determine how wild animals are able to compete... um, Sorry. Able to compete for survival on the savannah, scientists compared the athletic abilities of lions and cheetahs with that of their favorite prey... Uh, zebras and impala which is a type of antelope pretty sweet car also i know i was like also a chevy (laughs) yeah i wonder where you know cheetah can probably catch up to an impala on the on the savannah because they kind of only go so fast on the rough terrain how how fast does cheetah go i want to say something in the mid 60s miles per hour i feel like that's uh 68 to 75 miles an hour Go cheetah. Go. I gotta say, a Chevy Impala is gonna struggle to keep up that speed on rough terrain. And I bet acceleration-wise, a cheetah just like off the line. Yeah, the yeah. Impala car can't compete with the cheetah. It's gonna be pretty hard if it's not paved road. I yeah. grew up in Florida, and they say kind of a very similar thing if an alligator is chasing you. Just kind of run zigzaggy. Zigzaggy, yeah, zigzag, right. which isn't quite a sharp turn, but they're like go in zigzags. That's how you'll stop them because those alligators are pretty fast too. Yeah, I, but they're also pretty dumb when it comes to like just following your path rather than just cutting straight down the middle. Turning for turning because they have all that like reptile yeah. body, their mass, and like yep. they're like so long. So turning for a, yes, it's like, a lot of momentum and a lot of angular momentum yeah, to kind of get yeah. around. There's a you know, you need like an anorexic alligator to be able to do that better. So what they did, um, they measured the top speeds, speeds of acceleration and deceleration, and how quickly each animal could turn using specially designed radio collars. It's a picture of it here. Look at that. Look at that color on that as ever. Okay, that's ugly. <laughs> it is. It's not a... I mean, that's what science... Science, could, science goes for practicality over aesthetics. But he could have... They could have at least painted it black yeah. or white. That's it, it true. It perfectly you know? matched up with one of the stripes. Like, yeah, that yeah. might make it more likely for that zebra to get caught. <laughs> that's it's true. It like, doesn't go into the savannah look. You know what I mean? You're also not meant to wear brown, like tan with black and white. There's so many fashion clashes oh, with this zebra's color. Not cute. So they also took a small muscle sample to analyze the animal's maximum muscle power. The predators turned out to be significantly faster and more powerful than their prey. I think we knew that. Mm-hmm. However, at lower speeds, they were unable to match the zebra and impala for maneuverability, allowing those animals a chance of escape. The study, carried out in collaboration with the University of Botswana, sheds lights on the extremes of performance in wild animals and the factors that influence their survival. Prey can define the chase, says Professor Wilson. Yes. Okay. Prey it, can define the chase. It just sounds like. Yeah, that sounds like very. I mean empowering yeah, yeah that's that empowering. feels like something you should have on a post-it note above your desk <laughs> pray pray de- defines, defines the chase yeah pray defines the chase yeah write it down it's not about the size <laughs> of the animal or the speed the prey can define the chase 
Um, I like it. It decides it, it when to accessories turn. Accessories posters. Do they take submissions? Can you write a accessories sp- poster on spec? I feel like I think so. you guys. Let's stop this podcast yeah. right now. <laughs> Start our <laughs> and own go poster work company. on this poster. Uh, it decides when to turn, how fast to run. So it's always one stride ahead of the predator. Because the prey defines the tactics of the hunt, the predator needs to be more athletic to compete. But uh, still, eventually, it just feels like it's a waiting game. Unless you're saying you can tire out the predator to the point that they're just going to give up or something. Um, like, I just picture yeah, a, I lot of, a lot of... Shoom, uh, then you turn last second, and it's like, okay, I'm going to come at you again. Shoom, and I think that's it. I think it's whatever gets tired first, or if you can get in front of a slower animal. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, the cheater is known. Is that really the? Is that really the best strat? Like, or somebody else needs to get murdered? That's the only pretty other much. Option? But no, I think you sometimes. I think sometimes they all get ahead. Uh, they all get away. But the, so the cheater is known for its impressive running speed of more than a hundred kilometers an hour, which is sixty miles an hour. Lions are more powerful, but not as fast. But both of them have about twenty percent more powerful muscle. 37% greater acceleration and 72% greater deceleration capacity. That's the surprising one than their prey. So they're even better at decelerating than the prey mm. by more than they are uh, the other factors. The cats are successful in about a third of hunts using a combination of stealth and speed. Modeling work shows that both those animals, the zebra and the impala, have, a best, have the best chance of evading capture if they turn quickly particularly after slowing very rapidly. How, Wait, even though the lions can decelerate faster than the prey. Apparently so, but it's oh, about okay. the turns. It's about the changing direction. Meanwhile, although changing direction is also deceleration yeah, or acceleration. The they, yeah. Meanwhile, cheetahs and lions have the highest chance of success if they're traveling only slightly faster than their prey. Scientists say this reflects the evolutionary arms race between predator and prey. Put simply, if they were too successful at catching their prey, they would run out of food to eat. Oh, yeah. That so they sense. only catch it a third of the time? Apparently so. That's that's actually way better odds for the prey than I would have expected. I would have thought like... So would I. I would think like when, when, you, when you're dealing with the fastest land animal on earth, something that as we established a few minutes ago is faster, faster than, than a family Chevy vehicle. Impala. Yeah. Impala, yes. Oh, you're saying you would have thought a third is low. I thought you were saying you thought it was high. No, I think it's low. Like, I would have thought, like, if I was a zebra yeah. and I saw a cheetah... Like I'm dead. Yeah, I'd probably be like, I'm dead now. And then maybe I'd give up and that would be the real thing that killed me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's well, you know what they say. Not those sharp angles, you know? You gotta look at that poster before you give up. Right, right. Yeah. In the savannah. You were just letting the predator define the, the chase. I was letting the predator define chase. the chase, not the prey. But that's, I mean, that's, so that means two out of three times the, the, the prey gets away. Yeah, that's pretty good. But you think about, like, how often does... You pray the prey away. How often does a cheetah or a lion have to eat? I mean, when they get when they get a zebra or an impala, a zebra, they get a shit ton of food out of that, right? I mean, yes. that's like that's got to be a, a pretty rare... That's not a daily meal. It's not even a weekly meal, probably, right? Or I, is it like a weekly meal? I, I ha- lack the expertise yeah, to answer this question. Right, right, right. But yeah, no, you're right. That is... It isn't... They're not doing this daily, so I can understand how they don't need to have a high hit rate to be fine when they get a huge... When the haul is so big, when they get it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Getting um, one of them this is just being us being armchair uh, zoologists at this point. That's most of the podcast. I literally just had a flashback to like when you were like, "What science stuff have you done?" I was actually like, "Oh, I've done a ton of science stuff because really? I know it. I know a zoologist, oh. and I was oh. like, I was like, oh, we should talk to that zoologist that I know." What were you talking to the zoologist about? Um, Hardwick was working on a show. Uh-huh. about science and so it was like they were talking about like general science stuff so i met the zoologist on that were you working on that as well yeah i went in i went in for it a bunch so nice yeah was, but does that mean it's you're gonna be uh, or can you talk we don't uh, we don't know, we, we don't know what's gonna happen okay, okay. We, we, yeah, okay but then on the other this is the other thing i did was uh i did a thing on the environment mm, i yeah. like that i'm pro I'm pro, pro environment yeah. pro environment the california I'm environment anti <laughs> He's very pro-fracking. You can see it in his eyes. Yep. It's just one of the hilarious chalk and cheese things that we have going on. Wait, what? Is that not an American? No. That's not oh, my thing. God. Six years. I wow. love our That's sixth a- anniversary. We found a new one. And you had no idea it was going to be. I had no idea that was Wait, just going to. Cl- before you do it. Can, do what, Karen, do you, do you not, should we guess what chalk and cheese is? Sure. You go first. Of it? You go first. Okay. I'm going to guess there was like a British radio show uh, <laughs> with 
these two guys with the nicknames Chalk and Cheese. They were kind of like the odd couple. I'm pretty sure that is an expression that predates radio by Chalk quite some way. Ch- okay. Okay, I if have you, one. Okay, go In fact, yeah, I can tell you that it actually no, dates. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not going to... I would say Chalk and Cheese. British food is so terrible that uh, <laughs> all of it is so shitty... <laughs> That it's like chalk and cheese taste the the same, so they put them together in a sentence to be like, oh, it's like the chalk and cheese. Or, wait, wait, wait. Is there a part of a cheese-making process when you have to separate curds from whey by putting chalk in, and then uh, those two things don't mix? So, Nope. Damn it. But you... What what would you think it means as applied to people? Like these people are chalk and cheese. Uh, like the the uh, like this uh, Jack Spratt could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lean, sort of right. They're just two different. Uh, That's just more archaic sort of. garbage coming out of Andy's <laughs> yeah. mouth. I, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what the expression means, then see if you can track it back. Oh, actually, I'm trying to think. Would, would you rather know the we're origin at, of the phrase and work out what it means? Loggerheads on this topic. Chalk, chalk and cheese don't cheese. seem like they should go together. Oil it seems like they should be yeah, I, like oil and water. Yeah. No, I, I different opinions. Uh, 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 it's more that particularly certain cheeses and certain t- blocks of chalk can at least superficially seem alike. Oh. That uh, would never have been and guessed from my face. Never would have been guessed. And yet they're substantially the... different, so they're like... But what, what were we talking about that led, that led you to say that? We were joking about... I was pro-environment and you were... I was anti-environment and you were pro-environment. Mm. But how would that... So we're friends. We're friends, despite being, we seem similar. We okay. seem superficially similar, but okay. underneath the all of our similarities, like could be we the have... same color and the same shape, but as yeah. different as chalk. I was about to throw in another expression to further muddy the waters here, because I was about to say under the underneath the bonnet when you say underneath the hood. <laughs> Go check in the boot. That's where I left it. Yep. Wait, is the boot the trunk? The boot is okay. the trunk, and the bonnet is the hood. Where does the where do you put the chalk and where do you put the cheese? I keep the cheese in the in the boot. Yeah, well, you would definitely want to do that because, firstly, you don't want it to stink up the main cabin yeah. of the of the car, yeah. and also you would it would melt in the front. You put you put it under the hood; it's just going to melt all yeah. over the engine. But the chalk might just help, like keep things arid, like put one of those desiccant things. Keep it chalky. Yeah, keep it chalky. <laughs> keep it chalky out there, listeners. Uh, chalk and cheese. So, did you determine it is actually a Britishism, or is it just that I haven't heard? Uh, British and also New Zealand, according to this website, mm-hmm. I'd, which mm-hmm. means I'd be surprised if Australia doesn't have it as well, because that would be weird for it to reach both those countries and not the other. Um, but it ha- it dates back to at least 1393 as the first recorded uh, instance of it, which I think John predates Colors? radio <laughs> by a couple of centuries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or about half a millennium. I, there's a quote, but I don't know how to pronounce Middle English. I thought my uh, guess was pretty good. What was your guess again? Uh, British food is terrible. So chalk and cheese, like it's like essentially the same thing. I think I just discounted your guess through because it was insulting. Right, right. You were, you were like, <laughs> I was like, I just like, shut off. I know. I know. The second you like, said that, I was like, done, done. You, we're you, we you are like, out of here. You didn't hear it the first time, then you didn't hear it the second time. I guess also. Andy and I are just doing a podcast by ourselves now. <laughs> <laughs> Best friends. Yeah. Best friends with their iron and their irony and their <laughs> ironing, ironing board ironing and their ironing board. Iron. Um, yeah, can you, is the site you're looking at, thephrases.org.uk? Uh, it isn't, but I do have that link open as well. It is a, there's a quote from John Gower's Middle English text, Confessio Amantis, from 1390. It says, Lo how they chalk for cheese. Cheese has one E, and feignin is F-E-I-G-N-E-N. It's probably pronounced fesh or something. I don't fucking know how Middle English works. Interesting. I always had you down as someone who knew Middle English. <laughs> I love the way I just looked at Matt and I was like, Matthew. <laughs> Translate the Middle English, please. Please. Well, we learned chalk and cheese today. We learned why, how to evade, if you are an Impala or a zebra, how to evade a cheetah or a lion. As an escape option, they didn't even mention the option of painting a tunnel on the side of a cliff. That's not even in the running. Get some black paint. Make make like a you know a, a rock look like it's a tunnel, a road tunnel. Uh huh. Then turn at the last second and let the cheetah or lion. That's true. That is. It does say into... that. Uh yeah, that's definitely a way that can work. But this is one of the options. Yeah, but it's kind of a chalk it, and cheese thing. If you get the paint, like in, you know, you need paint to be able to do that. It's like, why aren't they even painting the collars on the zebra? 
Yeah, that's you know, true. there's that's no true. paint. I don't know where the paint. Or why aren't the zebras from. just painting their white stripes black or their black stripes white so they seem like a whole different kind of animal? And then maybe, then may, they maybe seem like is, a portal to Narnia. Maybe a cheetah doesn't want a, bla- a black horse or a white horse. It only wants a zebra. So hey, there's a couple of there's a couple of other animal stories this week, and I, the, you know, some episodes just come out a bit animal heavy, but I think I'm always a fan of a few good animal stories. Well, this one's very... We have to do this one, I think. If Wait, it's the one are you going monkeys? Yeah, that's that's a pretty big story. Pretty big story. Clone monkeys. Mm-hmm. First cloned monkey. They cloned the whole monkey? They cloned a monkey. The whole thing? Yeah. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Zhong Zhong and Hua Hua, the first, world's first monkeys cloned using the technique that gave us Dolly the sheep. Dolly was a while ago. It was like 20 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. The fact, I know when it was because it was the first season of The Daily Show. It was, it was a jokes about that, and that would have been 90, I'm going to say 96. All right, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, the female long-tailed macaques represent a technical milestone. It should make it possible to create customizable and genetically uniform populations of monkeys, which could speed up treatments for diseases such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and cancer, and maybe create an army that will overthrow humans. Oh, sorry, I <laughs> yeah, just... Yeah, 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 did you see that? Yeah. But the breakthrough will inevitably raise fears that human cloning is closer than ever. The monkeys hold such huge potential because they all inherit the same genetic materials as the Chinese team that cloned them. It will enable scientists to tweak the genes that the monkeys have that are linked to human disease and then monitor how this alters the animal's biology, comparing it against animals that are genetically identical except for the alterations. It could accelerate the hunt for genes and processes that go wrong in these diseases and ways to correct them, the team says. Although 23 species of mammal have been cloned since Dolly including pigs, cats, dogs, rats, and cattle. Monkeys have until now proved resistance to the technique. I know that. I guess it's probably because yeah. they're so cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> the, so my question would be, is the, like, how is the personality of the animal that's cloned? Are they, like, are they identical? You know, like, identical. That's an interesting It'd be the question. Same as human twins. Human twins are, are essentially clones. So, like, genetic clones. The same as, but, but, like, identical twins are, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the same. So, so two monkeys would have the same. So, in that case, it does mean that, like, out of the clones, one will be good, one will be evil. Right, one will have a good tea. But they will have a psychic connection. (laughs) And a language only they understand. Yeah. Okay, cool. I will say these are the cutest. That's in that article, right? Yeah, that's, I was just reading that straight off the page. Copy that, okay. I thought so. (laughs) If anybody hasn't actually seen pictures from this story yet i mean you probably have it's on every news site but this is the most adorable cloning that's happened so far i would say have you seen the pictures yeah yet? i mean they also these both of these monkeys look very stressed out <laughs> <laughs> they do look afraid and annoying they they're have both huddled knowledge. around a tennis ball yeah they're they're they both don't look they look stressed they're like i don't want this camera here it wasn't super cool that you cloned me in the first place <laughs> this was very this. invasive you know now i have a brother but like He's evil, and now he's going to have this goatee that's going to be grown on his face, and you know, now uh, they're going to use my body to for Parkinson's to figure <laughs> that stuff out. They're just so cute, though. I can't stop looking at them. So in two- cuter than Meghan Markle. I mean, no one's cuter than Me- uh, who? Who are we talking about? I, I oh, you got him! You got oh. him! You walk right into that trap. In 2000, researchers cloned monkeys for the first time, but they did it by splitting an embryo after it had been fertilized, essentially just producing a genetically identical twin. This method can only be used to create a maximum of four identical animals. But now, they've uh, these this team at the Chinese Academy of Sciences have tweaked the technique used to produce Dolly to create, theoretically, a limitless number of clones. Uh-oh. So different than the twins. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually going to work differently but than the twins. It, the creation process is different yeah. to twins, but it, they will still be genetically as identical the as. same way that twins are genetically identical. But would it affect how their personalities come out because of the way that they're cloning them? I don't think so. I think it's the Does same the thing that... technology make a difference? Um, so it's called somatic cell nuclear transfer. The method involves removing the nucleus from a donor egg cell and replacing it with one taken out of the cell from another animal. Um, an electric current is used to trick the egg into thinking it's been fertilized and it starts to develop into an early embryo. When implanted into the uterus of a surrogate mother, the embryo will grow into a carbon copy of the animal that donated the nucleus. Previous attempts to do this in monkeys have never p- progressed beyond the plasticized, which is an early embryonic stage. Um, plasticist? I think. Um, so, so they still put it inside of a mother? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they sort of 
as far as I can tell, they basically take what would be a sort of an egg cell from the mother, get remove the genetic material from that egg, put in the genetic material from the donor animal that is about to be cloned, put that in there, zap it with electricity so it thinks it's been fertilized and it starts to divide, and then implant that into the womb of a surrogate mother. And then, inc- so then it grows like then it just grows like a regular baby would. So eventually, this is what Hollywood celebrities are going to do with pets. Human, oh, wombs. humans, right? Yeah. Well, they've already started doing it with pets. I think there is a service that that we even might have yeah, talked yeah. about this a while back, I where people are trying to clone their dead or about to die pets to try and keep their pets effectively alive forever. But again, like you were asking about, where their personalities are the same, the answer is no. Even though they are genetically identical, they have. It's not just genetics that determines behavior. It's also environment, uh, training, upbringing. So you kind of exp- you have this dog monkey business, if you will. Yeah, you have this dog. I mean, what that about the looks soul? identical? Yeah. Right. Well, they haven't worked out how to transfer the soul yet. Well, so like that's the twins, other thing. They like need twins, that special they flute. Have souls. Yeah. Yeah. They need that flute, yo. I do like that the electricity is required. So, like, the Frankenstein movie <clears throat> got that part right. Yeah. It's just a big lever on the wall someone has to pull. Lightning yeah. has to strike. They have to wait for there. the tiniest bit of lightning. Yeah. <laughs> just enough to not zap in a, a single cell. By the way, speaking of celebrities and their pets, uh, did I tell you those three chihuahua puppies that I was... Did you ever see those when I had those? For I, a couple I never saw them live. I only saw the picture. I had these four-week-old uh, chihuahua puppies I was fostering for a couple weeks, and I just found out they were adopted by uh, an Instagram-famous couple out in New York, and or one of them, Tommy, um, who's now Jeffrey... Jeffrey Snooze Tech, if you want to follow him on Instagram, but like now he's, he's like living his best life. He's hanging out with like New York socialites... The combined Twitter following or Instagram following of his new owners is like two or three hundred thousand. So now the question is: the is the dog in a lot of the pictures now, and that's how the you dog know? has his own Instagram account, and that dog's Instagram account started liking pictures of the dogs that I had put up, and I was like, oh, who? Fa-? Then I traced that back to. And then the dog's Instagram account messaged me in the voice of a dog, which is a little off-putting. Like, hey, I think you watched me for a little while. I'd like to know more about my past. And so I had to write back, and I'm like deciding, do I address this dog as a dog or as the person <laughs> who – I'm not going to play this game. Like, yes, I do remember watching you. So I was like, yeah. we. Uh. Anyway, but um, it's just funny that to see this dog like hobnobbing with New York socialites and uh, this model – this owner. <laughs> this makes me feel very uncomfortable just sure hearing this story. No, I mean he's probably he's doing great. He probably has access to more and better resources than he did here. But it's just funny. This Chihuahua is now like jet setting. Yeah, I just think it's funny that you're like this Chihuahua has access to more and better resources. What resources does a fucking Chihuahua <laughs> need? But everybody he needs like tagged. a hug and like a walk <laughs> and like a place to shit. Jesus, he doesn't need like a plane and caviar and like to meet like Cardi B. Well, it's more like <laughs> there was he, there was a picture, and then uh, a friend told me that the person holding him in that picture is is like the um, editor of the New York Times style section or something. I'm like, oh, okay. You Formerly think the dog is doing the dog gives he, a fuck? He understands status. This is yeah, a very that's what I mean. I know that's dog. what I was like. You're like the smaller the dog, the shittier the personality. Right. So that's why he cares that he's part of the New York like he, social elite. He always seemed like a social climber when even for the two weeks that right, right. Was he was always like thinking that he was better than the brothers and sisters he was living with and stuff. Yep. And he was like, I'm going to get out of here. Well, it is kind of okay. The one thing that is a little fucked up is he was brown and his, his two siblings were black and the people who the fostering company as they dropped him off said there is this thing known as black dog syndrome like it's just harder to get black dog or black pets I guess probably maybe black cats too adopted in general and I don't know how much of that is like everyone wants to be able these days to take tons of pictures of their dog and like just the pictures don't come out as well of the it's a subtle thing but it's enough there is, there is prejudice so when you're trying to like rescue animals from these kill shelters it's harder to find homes and to there's more black dogs because people don't want them as much it's shitty. I'm not, I'm not advocating for this syndrome. I'm saying it's a real thing. And the famous people did. Sounds take like you are because you, you seem really excited by that. Two black ones. I think if I had to keep one, I would have kept Tim. He was the tiniest of the three, and he would get like. Oh, so it'd make you out. feel better. He'd well, make he, you feel better about yourself and how you're doing in your own life because you're like, look at Tim, I'm little helping run. a little under, like a literal underdog. Like he would get squeezed out of the of the food bowl by Tanya and Tommy. Like they would actually muscle him out, so he would like get thrown backwards. There wasn't room for him to eat, so I had to hold those two back and let Tim eat first before they just knocked him out of the way. But you know, congrats, Tommy slash Jeffrey, on your new life. 
<laughs> so these monkeys okay, yeah. <laughs> previous attempts hadn't progressed beyond this early embryonic stage so they went a step further by introducing two new ingredients to the soup of nutrients and growth factors that help cloned embryos grow before being placed into the surrogate the ingredients messenger rna and a compound called trichostatin a awakened at least 2,000 genes that are vital for various stages of embryonic development, which enabled em- the development to proceed. They also discovered it was easier to clone macaques if you use cells from fetal macaques rather than adults. Um, so although attempts to perform the technique using cells taken from adult macaques also produced two live animals, both died too soon after birth uh, and had one, abnormal, one had abnormal body development, so the fetal one was more efficient and successful. Um, there, there has been the Raelian movement in California claimed that it had cloned human babies a while back, yeah, but what, it was it was a hoax. About, what is the Raelian movement? There are there are I think there are sort of bullshit. A, a bullshit cult who, you know, there's like different as categories opposed of cult. to the yeah as opposed yeah. to the legitimate cults. But they're one of the ones that sort of I think cloak themselves in the vague trappings of science, like they're sort of. You know, there's like the science cult and then the mysticism's cults. And the way, then the way se- people like appropriate quantum, the word quantum into their like bullshit yeah. spirituality. Yeah. Or what about the Scientologists? And they put science they right put in science. that. They yeah. put science right in that. I really was disappointed that there wasn't more science in the theology. Did you ever, have you ever like dipped your toes in the pool of, uh, have you ever gone to the Celebrity Center or anything? Or? I am a Scientologist, guys. You know Holy that? fuck. Why, do, why didn't we talk about this ahead of time? Damn yeah, it. that's what I should have said. When it was oh, like, yeah. When you said, what's your background in science? We just didn't finish the word. 100%. Scientology. I'm an anologist uh-huh, of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm an anologist. I've been an anologist. Uh, science studier. W- God, how did they get away with that as a name? <laughs> Scientology. Yeah, it's basically the science is like the stu- like It's like the study of the study. It's or- like learning, learning. The, yep. st- uh, the study of well, actually, this, what is the root of the word science? Is it not? Or, oh. He's a professor of cleverness. Like, because "scient" is a is an adjective, I think, isn't it? Because I worked for a company called Sapient, which was a web consultancy back. Well, in the that day. means wise, right? And there was a competitor called Scient, and that also means wise, I believe. And it was always funny. These are the two like web consultancies. Um, or knowing or skillful is scient and sapient is wise. Uh, you know who else is wise? Scientologists? Tool-making crows. Oh! It's animal <laughs> what day. a transition! Yeah. Also, I should say I'm not a Scientologist because I realized my voice <laughs> you doesn't sold express... It too well. I know. My voice doesn't express sarcasm particularly well. <laughs> it sounds a lot like seriousness. <laughs> They're going to be like, that's Scientologist. And then they had that Scientologist girl on. Um, So, uh, these uh, New Caledonian crows spontaneously make hooks out of plant material, using them to fish for grubs and spiders. Experiments have now revealed that these hooked tools are ten times faster at retrieving a snack than the alternative tool, a simple twig. See if there's a picture of it here. Oh, yeah, look at so they're new making crows. they're making a little curl, making a little hook out of this branch, um, out of this plant material, and then they're fishing into this hole. It really does look like a little kids' fishing game. Like there's a hole in this branch, and there's a little grub, there's a little snack inside there, and they're just taking this. I, lo- I love the idea that other oh. animals work. You know, because you right. just think like animals are chilling all the time, going to work, making some tools. That's right. like they had to make because it's like eat, eat or die. Yeah, he's, he's like twi- doing. He's a twig he, smith. You think it's like oh, if you're a bird, you just get to like chill and fly around. But no, you got to build that nest. You got to make those hooks. Right. You, you know? got to uh, caulk in at the beginning of the day. I was trying to do a clock in because they caught. No, it didn't work. I'm going to edit that out. That's going to be gone. From the final Leave it there. Leave it so everyone knows. Yeah. Leave your shame on tape. <laughs> not staying in. We'll still know. We'll know, Andy. Uh, uh, I didn't know that they're the only known animals to make hooks, according to this article. I thought maybe so. some of those, some of those uh, apes who, or uh, some kind of primates, you know, those ones who stick twigs into anthills and like yeah, make them off. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's a, a lot of those primates that Jane Goodall studied. That was one of the big discoveries that she made initially was with primates was that, stuff? yeah, was that, a that the, that the primate uses, uh, uses tools. So he takes like a twig, like a, this like twig mm-hmm. and uses them and puts them into an anthill and then collects a bunch of ants and then eats it. Do they like lick it off like a, like a popsicle? Or like what? a popsicle. Or it was kind it? of, he did more of like a, if I'm remembering right, it was more of like a, 
like a slurping, Slurp. like a little more of a straw, like yeah. straw style. Um, um, so measuring these hooks' effectiveness tells scientists something about what drove this tool to evolve and provides them a f- provides these scientists with the first glimpse of the evolution of a new technology in the animal kingdom. The earliest human-made fishing hooks from about 23,000 years ago were one of the most significant technological milestones. The archaeologists who unearthed these seashell-carved hooks in a cave on the Japanese island of Okinawa said this early maritime technology had allowed humans to survive on islands. Lead researcher on the Crow study, Professor Christian Roots, told BBC News um, that their invention of fish, that our invention of fish hooks, humans, was incredibly recent, only a thousand generations ago, which is an eye blink in evolutionary terms. When you think that we went in those thousand generations from crafting fish hooks to building space shuttles, that is absolutely mind-boggling. Understanding what drove the crow's tool manufacturing process provides them, Professor Ritz and his colleagues, with a unique and valuable non-human model to investigate the origins of this fundamental step in human progress. When I see these crows making hook tools, I have a glimpse of the very foundations of a technology that is evolving, says Professor Ritz. Um... Juan Lapuente, an ecologist from Würzburg University in Germany who studies primate tool use, says the tool-making and tool-using behavior in crows was amazing. We tend to assume that the closer an animal is to us, the more intelligent it should be, and thus we understand more easily that primates, and especially chimps, make and use tools. But we have to be more humble and accept that many small-brained animals are intelligent enough to make and use tools, and sometimes are even more proficient at these <laughs> tasks than our cousins. Yeah, a little. Sometimes uh, not, not as humble as you think. There. Yeah, ooh, the small-brained animals. So he's basically saying that. I love the way that this article is basically saying that we don't pay attention. Yeah. To what dumb animals do the innovations of dumb animals yeah let's well, also not get too cocky so it took us a thousand a thousand generations ago we invented fish hooks so i just looked up uh crows lived about seven or eight years let's call a crow generation maybe three years so we only got three thousand years to prepare for the crow a-bomb yeah, yeah i was gonna right? say and by then that, the, i was they're gonna have facebook and yeah. that's how they're gonna communicate uh, and you know then people will be like talking about crows being in their bubble their news bubble I hate crow fake news. That is the real <laughs> crow, the crow disinformation news. campaigns from conf- you know, enemy crow countries. Uh, Professor Root said that while he could only speculate about the future development of crow-made tools, he did not think making these hooks was the end of the story for the birds. Oh. I think this species will come up with even better tools, he said. I, uh, I would not be surprised if they did. I, I, I expect nothing less from these crows. Um... I want to know more about that professor. The crow professor? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your life, crow man, you know? <laughs> Does he, like, dress up as them, live among them? Uh, Yeah, there's a picture of him, and he does have a fake beak, but I think that's just, like, what he wears. He's the Jane Goodall of crows. It's to show that he's one of the people who's helping rescue the dead from the plague? Is that what that was for? Is, is it like Birdman? It's yeah, Birdman. So. Yeah. He is the real Birdman. He is. That's what the film was made about. And okay. I guess it changed a lot in pre-production and, yeah. you know, ended up being more, you know, sort of superhero imagination filmmaking process kind of thing. Copy that. Copy that. Well, that's, you know, development. That's how this industry yeah. works. It starts off as... But he does also always appear to have been filmed in just one shot. It, oh. uh, it took a sharp turn, much the way that Prey should take a sharp turn uh, if they're trying to get away from a You're really predator. good at this. You know what they you say know? about prey? That if we consult the poster behind you there. They define the they chase. They define the chase, that's true. They define the chase. Uh, I wonder if that would work for like a woman who's getting like mugged or like a rapist is following you. I, I didn't want Can to we take it defi- to, yeah. yeah. It could definitely be a Me Too quote if appropriated Can correctly. Can we define yeah. the chase? I love the way the microphone was like, you don't get to go there. That was like the moment the <laughs> microphone realized, was like, no, no. It's not for me to call women prey, I don't think. That's not a... Maybe that's no, not no, best, just um, in the... Like a mugger. Yeah. You have a mugger on a street, an assailant, and then you have somebody walking. Mm-hmm. And that could be a man or a woman, you know? It's a, does the sharp turn strategy work there? Does it Does it apply to humans? Well, I think that's the... I think you're supposed to sh- uh, have something shiny that you wave and then throw it in a different direction. Is that true? Keys, yeah, because sometimes a mugger will be distracted by a shiny set of keys <laughs> and throw it across the street. Are you still thinking mostly about crows and all... <laughs> <laughs> and or magpies. He's, he's conflating, conflating the crow. Human assailants with crows. Yeah. yeah. I think we do learn, though, from that story that if you are the mugger or you want to chase someone, you're best off only being slightly quicker than them. Because if you're too much quicker than them, you'll then, them, then you'll overshoot them if they turn quickly. 
Mm. That was one of the things we learned from that. Although I think humans are generally much quicker at turning. Yeah, I think that was the problem with Harvey Weinstein is he was so fast. He was so nimble. <laughs> yeah. So agile. I love the way I love the way that's also like the the way that you've defined uh, the the problem with the uh, with why muggings and assaults happen is because of the speed of the turn. Yeah. You know, most most muggings happen. Speed. Yeah. Most muggings happen on an open plain. Right. On an open prairie <laughs> for, you know, where humans are, you know, just just minding their own business, just drinking at some uh, water watering hole, local watering hole in the savannah. Yeah. And then suddenly, from suddenly, one of them sniffs uh, a mugger in the distance and then starts running. If you are the Damn prey, you'd want to run as fast as possible to y- try to get away. Y- yeah. But- then you could make a turn. No, you want to, according to this story, you actually want to go relatively slowly. But that's assuming that the mugger doesn't go fast. You know what I mean? Like that's because that's because the the you can't you but can't I, outrun the cheetah. But I think the deal is, yeah, I, I think, think cheetahs and muggers are very different. I'm just going to come out and say it, guys. Well, I don't think it's the same. I yeah. think there are some big similarities, but you might be onto something. It's there. kind of a chalk and cheese thing. So um, chalk and cheese. But yeah, that story is saying. The antelope or whatever is always going to be slower than the cheetah yeah, that's, or the lion. That's categorical. So, so that's why it's got so to go like, slow and then make the turn. Yes. Yeah, so you're like, yeah. if I'm going to be slower, I might as well conserve energy and improve my turning ability right. by being considerably slower rather than expending all this energy on trying to be fast, trying to be fast, but still being slower than the lion and costing myself a abil- turning ability and energy. But the thing is, we don't know if you're going to be faster or slower then, like, I think that's very person contingent. Than the mugger, because we're the same species. That is a good point. Yes. That is something I'd overlooked. Yes, yes. We don't... We like are most not antelopes m- and cheetahs. If you're a crow, We are all human chased. beings. <laughs> that's another poster in itself. Yeah. <laughs> we're not... Well, you're right. We're not antelopes and cheetahs. We are all human beings. We're all human beings. But so if, if is the is the prey defined by the chase? You know, when mm. you're a human, that's the third poster. And and you know, even they though they get sadder, they just get yeah. sadder. Even though we are all human beings, some human beings are better than others. I'm just going to say, like for example, some of those human beings who went to the Squarespace Power Probably Science dot com website and clicked on the donate button. Those are some of the better humans. Yeah, they are. There are, there are monthly donations from Sean Gordon, Destruction Lane, Peter Wirths, David Long, John Waltz, John Clarici, Caroline Laco, Lindsay Bacon set up a new monthly donation, and Mark Williams. And then we got a, we got a one-off donation, both a generous donation from Jake Swenson and also an explanation, uh, something we discussed on one of the mo- a recent episode. No, we, are, we already did ex- discuss it. I thought we hadn't yet. Uh, this is about the effect of weightlessness on breathing. That's exactly it. So we we talked about this. We asked a question. We didn't know the answer. Oh, I thought you said we read the... Okay, yeah. No, and Jake... Uh, Jake replied with this information. So we were asking whether... Uh, it was the Ben Roy episode, and we were asking about where the effect of weightlessness on breathing and the perceived pressure in your chest, and also how it would then be affected when you got back onto Earth. And Jake says, as a nurse anesthetist, one of my primary jobs is to manage the patient's ventilation during the alteration of their position. Mm-hmm. Your discussion led me to look for literature regarding the effects of weightlessness or microgravity on ventilation, uh, pulmonary perfusion, and the ratio of the two, which is apparently called the VQ ratio, which indicates how well the lung is exchanging gas as a function of airflow and blood flow. If either of these are disrupted, the patient experiences what's called a VQ mismatch. This concept, along with the concepts of zones of the lungs, were published by West in in the 60s and relate the alveolar pressure to the arterial... Uh, and he's going well There's into an equation kinds here. Of pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the alveolar pressure, the arterial pressure, and the venous pressure. Uh, if the patient is upright, zone one, uh, the apex is where the the alveolar pressure is greater than the arterial, which in turn is greater than the venous one. If you progress inferior to the apex, then the alveolar pressure becomes less. While the positions of the the PA and the PV okay, remain the same, inferior to the apex would mean leaning forward or backward. I don't know these. Uh, I, they seem like basic medical terms, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but it, it does say like in patients who suffer from pneumonia or other obstructive uh, disease, a zone four develops where the pressure of the interstitium is less than PA but greater than PV, obstructing blood flow and gas exchange. Um, that being said, the lung zones are changeable because the lung is a deformable organ and changes the position of the patient change, uh, changes. Um, so, 
when reading about the changes while in altered gravity, here we go. The literature. Our listeners are thorough. They're nothing if not. They're nothing thorough. if not yes. thorough. This and also, a- I fully believe that this person is a qualified nerdanesis. Yes. Um, when reading about the changes while in altered gravity, the literature, which there isn't much current, and West's book on pulmonary physiology suggests that humans are surprisingly able to adapt to the microgravity environment with little changes in ventilation and perfusion. The astronaut would improve would experience improved ventilation and blood flow as they become more uniform without gravity. Though if they have underlying structural problems, these would not be overcome. Blood does not pool in the lungs as it does in all of us on Earth, so the astronauts would have an increasing circulating blood vo- volume in the thoracic cavity. Where the problem lies is upon returning to Earth, the astronauts would experience cardiovascular deconditioning, which would lead to postural hypertension, which is called which is the Fancy medical word for low blood pressure upon standing. Is that just what makes you lightheaded when you stand up and for sitting for a long time? Yep. And other uh, sequelae. I don't know what that word means either. I looked either. it up. It means uh, effects happening after a thing. Thank you. Uh, oh, I like the sequel things. Yeah. Which would reconcile mm. after a short time back. The more dramatic effects on ventilation and perfusion occur during hypergravity. So I guess hypergravity is like more than g-force so yeah, the opposite extra, of weightlessness extra extra gravity so that means that actually the circulation of astronauts is actually very good when they're in weightlessness yeah is that what he's saying but they take a little bit of they take some adjusting when they get back down into earth where right. they can get lightheaded and even faint when they stand up too quickly right and that's because the pressure's changed and it's become more and on blood, the body and blood is pooling in the lungs now in a way that it didn't used to while they were used to being in space it was everything was evenly distributed around their body loosey-goosey right yeah, and I love that uh, our listeners email us, and their emails include citations. I know. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> like, citations. He might have done this at work. while On the clock. W- while doing the, whatever, some... While neglecting a patient. Yes. Who is <laughs> currently under anesthesia. I hope not. Um, but thank you, Jake. That was awesome. I, we've, we've got time for one quick story. I'm going to go with a fun one. Because I, I notice, Andy, you've, you've banished your yucca plant to the outside. I think it wasn't getting enough. My, my apartment doesn't get much daylight, and this thing wants more daylight. So it's sitting outside. I'll bring it back in once the sun gets a little uh, higher in the sky. Our friend Justin Broughton in his story uh, saying, um, the fashionable yucca plant is to blame for a spike. Okay, first of all, I didn't get buy it as a fad. It just looked nice when I was at Home Depot. I was wondering why you transitioned. Hipster. I was wondering why you transitioned when you were like, we have time for one more story. Let me talk about your yucca plant. And then I saw where it was going. All right. It is to blame for a spike. That's a uh, pun. Hey. In gardening-related ear injuries, new research has found. Over a five-year period, 28 patients presented to the Royal Victorian Eye and Ear Hospital in Melbourne with ear injuries caused by the spiky plant. Uh, very sp- I wish I could point to it right now. Can, I, show can, you how I, spiky can you show is, me the photo? That's a spiky yucca plant. You'll see it as you're walking out uh-huh, also. Uh-huh. Uh, some of those injuries apparently were very serious. <laughs> Had repeated episodes of people coming in after they were gardening or handling their yucca plant. <laughs> One in seven relate- resulted in permanent hearing loss. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> One in, that's one in seven of all gardening accidents or one in seven of all yucca plant specific I think it's specifically accidents. the ones okay. that are bad enough that they've come into the hospital. Um, but also only controlling for, anyway. The ear ones. Of, of the ones that are, yeah. like the ear injuries. Yeah. But also specifically one in seven plants, of them from just any plants. No. So it's a, is it most of the ear injuries no, it's, it's, are from yucca plants or is it that yucca plants are causing the most injuries overall and a lot of those are ear injuries? I think injuries. it's one in seven Australians now have permanent okay, hearing permanent. loss from yucca plants. <laughs> if you can hear us, tap on your phone right now if you can hear what we're saying to you. Um, a lot of people are worried about their eyes apparently when they pick up a yucca plant, says Professor O'Leary. <laughs> But is, when I picked up this plant, neither of these things do. These two things crossed my mind. Yeah. I was just like this would look cool in my living room. They don't think. They don't think about the ears. They don't realize that these fronds from the yucca plant can pass straight down the ear canal like an arrow. <sighs> the spiky leaves initially perforate the eardrum, but fortunately for us, the eardrum can recover. But if they go much further, the angle and orientation of these things head straight into the little bones of hearing in the inner ear itself, and that's what causes very significant and permanent injury to the hearing. The ear, apparently, the inner ear is a very delicate structure that's notoriously difficult to treat, and any injury should be seen quickly by an ENT surgeon. Um, if you feel at all dizzy, apparently, after you've had an injury to the ear with the yucca plant, that is the red flag that this could be very serious indeed. We shouldn't be laughing, Australians. You guys have had it tough. The, and are I, the yucca plants and the crows going to get together? and Right, with hooks. With fully armed. <laughs> a crow is armed with yucca spine. 
They yuck a say... spine in one in one <laughs> in one foot, and then the and then a hook in the beak. Right. Two spikes and a beak. Oh, a lot God. of terrifying. A lot yeah. of deaf people who pissed off crows suddenly wobbling on their feet as well. They did say there's an easy way to avoid these ear injuries from the yucca plants, which is um, at the last second turn. Right. <laughs> Make sure to the, the yucca plant might be faster than you, but all you have to do is turn. <laughs> all you, you can do is turn. You can also wear protective clothing, including gloves and a white brim hat. I mean, okay, that works. And too. to remain aware at all times. That's that's the being aware at all times. Is just vigilance good, is key. Just vigilance is real, advice. real, real key. That's a poster. Like, like we said, that's poster four. Defines the race. Vigilance is key. Vigilance. Stay aware. Yeah. Stay aware. Turn fast. Keep calm. <laughs> Run slow. Yucca turn on. fast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, Karen. Where can our listeners find out more about you and everything you do? Um, that's a great question. I, the internet is probably a good place. All right. Um, so that's internet.com. Yep. It's www.internet.com. Slash. Uh, I'm on all of the websites. Right. With my name. Does this work, on, have a, does this shit, work on Netscape? Shit from Kieran, which was, you know, probably misguided. That's to K-I-R-A-N. That's correct. Shit that's from correct. Kieran. Uh, misguided on the... I mean, I don't think if shit is a bad word, but, you know, other people do. Uh, you suddenly have a name you? that can't be said on daytime radio and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, uh, yeah. Did you do At Midnight when that was on? No, I didn't do I At Midnight. I wonder what they would have done with your handle when they show it on the... Yeah. When they show it, you know, when they on show the Jeopardy it, thing, yeah. Because it's like the asterisk. It's got a swear in it. And then the president said it, you know, oh, yeah, it's not shitty countries. So yeah, it's like, yeah. is that... I was like, am I out? Am I home Yeah, free? you're fine. You're golden. Oh, the news loved that when they were like, "Okay, we could say it now." It, like it really was. The whole news was like when, when like a kid has had per- got permission. <laughs> you know, like, like, I remember fuck, like fuck, fuckity fuck, yeah, shit, shit, shitty, shit, 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 shit. There were some was books that I remember reading when I was a kid that had like a ass. rude word in it, or like, or like, like even ass, like, like a, a shit, like a shit or something. Oh. But it's like, you know, it's a it's a book that's sort of young adult or at least pitched at that level, like, but it would have the word shit in, it and suddenly you're like. <gasps> I'm reading this book, so I'm allowed to because book reading some one of the things you're meant to do and you're, you're good to are, do. But it's got good. a rude in it. It's got, it's a, got rude. a rude. It's so cute. It totally got a swear. It's got a rude. Did you it. used to call? Did you used to call uh, um, male genitalia willies? Yeah. I can see your willy. Yeah, that. Or when I was very young, it was doo doo. Doo doo. Okay. Called, I can see your willy. I can see your willy. I remember I being a. I remember still, being a little kid and being like, "Your willy, yeah, we can see his willy." Yeah. <laughs> how often did you see willies? Hello. How old were you when you moved? <laughs> First of all, how old were you moved? Were you how old were you when you moved away from Britain? I'm like I was 45 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it was last week. Uh, I'm 45 years old. Uh, no, it was I was five. Okay. So I don't I don't think I saw that many willies, but I think I remember one time going into the we went into like the wrong bathroom or something, and they're like, "Boys have a willy," and it was something like something like that. That's a rude. Uh, well, it's also scientific, so that sort of brings That's everything true. around. Yeah, right. I mean. mm-hmm. True. True. So well, that mark that down. A little extra bonus fact for you, probably science <laughs> listeners and Scientologists. Yeah. Boys do have a willy, or at least some, some boys have a willy. Let's yes. Let's not be trans exclusionary <laughs> no. here. Um, hey, uh, so follow. We'll, we'll put links up uh, to all the current stuff on the in the show notes and on propertyscience.com. That's also where you can find the donation button. The other way you can help us is by spreading the word, tweeting, Facebooking, writing nice things about us on iTunes, giving us nice reviews, all that kind of good stuff. You can also find us on Twitter at Probably Science, individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kershen, and mm-hmm. you can t- email us with any questions, stories, comments, clarifications, corrections, probablyscience at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. I have and one quick plug. What though, do you got, Andy? Uh, to, if you listen to this today, a Thursday, January 25th, come out to The Virgil uh, at 8 o'clock to see the fifth anniversary of Big Money, Brian Cook's show. The lineup's insane. It's I think it's uh, Kyle Kinane, Dana Gould, um, Eliza Skinner, Matt Bronger, Baron Vaughn, Heather Thompson. It's free. And then afterwards, we're going to be playing music uh, from the Guilty Treasure show that I've mentioned. So I've your live so, band is going to be playing. So it'll be 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock comedy, and then 10 o'clock on some fun uh, so bad they're good or so good they're bad songs I will be there yes it'll be fun yes. time. So, uh, Thursday January 25th 8 o'clock at the Virgil in Hollywood in the meantime thanks for joining us thanks for listening thanks for joining us Karen yes this was so fun thank you for having me we'll see you next week bye bye